I'm here with Sister uh, Joseph uh, Andrew Bogdanowitz of the Dominican Sisters of uh, Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, right? And you've just written a, a new book on vocations and discernment to religious life. Uh, tell us the title of the book and maybe some of the outline of it. Great. Okay, thank you, Father. The title of the book is And Mary's Yes Continues. And the book really is, um, the, the impetus for the book, Father, is that young women who maybe are thinking about religious life, there is nothing written out there, you know, within how many decades, really, of the church. And also, I get questions when young women are interested from their parents, what, what is my daughter doing? Is there any explanation? So there's nothing to tell them. Go read this and you'll begin to understand things better because there's so few sisters out there. And then the other thing is there's priests that will say, I never really was taught by sisters. I don't really know sisters that much. This girl's coming to me for spiritual advice. Do you have something I could help her with? So there's been a real need for women to have some written materials about religious life, whether or not it's their vocation, at least they understand it better. Mm. And if their vocation is marriage someday, they'll understand if maybe one of their daughters has a religious vocation. So it's kind of, um, it's, it's bringing the sisters, so to speak, into the homes of people, you know, in a way that we wouldn't be able to go visit everyone and, and that kind of thing. So it's a, a real outreach. And it's also is, um, good for young men that are discerning religious life, in particular like religious communities, and certainly priesthood too. But there's just so many of the virtues that are mentioned. There's so much of the, the foundations. So you had um, asked me, like, what's the outline? It begins with foundations. And in there we have a chapter on, like, the theology of religious life, philosophy of religious life, charisms in the church. Uh, and how you discern which charism is the one that God gave you, um, who is entering today. So that's, that's my chapter, and it's, um, you know, religious vocations in, in the third millennium, um, that nagging feeling, because there's so many young women who will say, God just seems to want more of me, but I have no clue what, he, what it is he wants. I, and they really haven't seen religious, so it's like, what, what's this supposed to mean? Um, so it's unpacking some of that, and then it goes into um, when a girl enters, you know, some of the very beginnings of these kinds of things. So our novice mistress uh, has a chapter in there, and then also preparation for the work of the apostolate, too. So for our sisters, the apostolate obviously would be the teaching and preaching that we do as Dominicans, and that's the, that's the first part. Second part, everybody's going to run to to read immediately because that's just the sister stories. Mm -hmm. So we have a number of sisters um, selected. I, I selected them personally because I knew their stories would be different enough and interesting. And I mean, whose story isn't interesting? But so we have a story of a young woman who entered right out of high school, a young woman who entered out of um, homeschooling, a young woman who entered in college and then out of college and then from an Ivy League college and then from the workforce, all those kinds of things. And then also campus ministry that our sisters are doing at CUA and Washington DC, et cetera. And then the, the third part, which is the ending part, is from the heart of the church. And we were very gifted because um, our chaplain, who is Father Richard Zhang, he's a Holy Cross priest. And 
from Notre Dame. But he has a good friend, his sister Ruth Burroughs, and of course she has written a lot and published a lot, and um, she's over in England in a Carmelite community. So he asked her, would you do something for the sisters as a gift to him that he could give us? So she has a chapter in there which is very special. And then um, we also have a bit on our community's history. We have a glossary of terms for like monastic terms that the sisters have been able to use in the book. But uh, if a person's reading it and they don't know what that means, they can go to the glossary and look it up. And, um, and then just good prayers, you know. So many times I'll be asked, well, is there a, a special way to pray or are there prayers that should be you know, more geared towards religious life. So it has the, the simple basics in it because young people are coming from all kinds of backgrounds. So it has the rosary, the divine mercy chaplet, et cetera. And then it has some other special prayers leaning more towards discernment and openness and kind of ends with, you know, just go before the blessed sacrament and Eucharistic adoration and let God lead your prayers. Go sit before our lady you know and and let the mother teach you where you need to pray what deepest part of your heart needs to open up you know where you're more closed to the divine will or more fearful or not willing to give the gift of self so it, it goes into a, a lot of that also so it is a product of your community you're not a lot of you contributed to the different chapters that's correct probably about at least 20 something sisters have worked on it um, so yes, different sisters contributed to the different chapters, yeah. And then your chapter again is about who's entering, you said? What do, what do you write about more specifically there? <laughs> <laughs> well, what my chapter really is, since I've been the vocation director for the entire length of our community, which is 20 years this year, um, really is, it, it has some differences because our community was founded in 1997. So at that point, Pope John Paul II was getting the, the church geared up even more so than he had already for the third millennium. You know, what was the new evangelization going to look like? How were we going to prepare, et cetera? And so our community was born at the cusp of the new evangelization, so to speak. And I um, would say at that point in time, John Paul II's World Youth Days were really producing fruit and there was a lot of uh, excitement about the, the, the new millennium, and people were generally a little bit more, I think, open and focused towards what is God's plan for me. I, I have a, a specific purpose by God's design, and I don't want to mess it up. I want to do God's will. So that um, we grew very quickly, um, and, and we continue to, but it's, a diff it's become different in the last... 18, 17, 18 years, because I think a big part, and I discuss this in the chapter, is so many young people today are kind of sucked into technology, which is an artificial type of existence. Um, I have seen them sit in big groups of friends and everybody pull out their iPhones and nobody talk. It's like humanity can become objectified, which is of course what John Paul II and his Theology of the Body told us is deadly. And so do, do they have the social skills? Are they opening themselves up in any vulnerability that's holy? Do they know themselves? I think self-knowledge is lacking more so now because they can have an artificial friend on an iPhone and, um, and not do the normal 
um, human gift of self to open self up in vulnerability towards another person for friendship reasons, which is just so holy in the way we really learn who self is and who God is, you know. So, yeah, there's there's been some changes. And um, another big thing that I really do bring up is acedia, you know, that just I don't have the energy to try for the great the greatness. Mm-hmm. I think I'll just settle for a common okayness. Mm-hmm. God doesn't want more than that out of me. Right. And, and so they don't have that courage and that uh, enthusiasm and that energy to get up and move and become the great saint God's calling them to be. And you think the media's kind of sucked that out of us too? I mean, I, I'm thinking too, just those of us in religious life in the church, media can be a big kind of uh, tap on energy and strength. Oh, I think that is so true. God bless you, Father, and your community for all you are for EWTN. Media can make us or break us, just as almost anything else can. Um, you know, there's always going to be the positive, but the positive versus the negative, there's going to have to be a dimension where the personal. Um, conscience and 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 just the person stands before God and makes decisions Mm -hmm. and has enough self-discipline to be able to sacrifice and say I can't go in this direction or I I need to pull back from media I need to go pray I need to give time to these people and I need to sit around a group of friends and actually talk and no none of us needs to pull out an iPhone and bring some objectified person into our dimension of friendship it's not true and I think it's undoing um, one of the most beautiful things when we think about the incarnation is Christ became man. He loved our flesh and blood. He wanted it himself. He chose it. He could have done anything, and yet he wanted to become pe- a, a, a human like us. And yet sometimes I think this is the opposite, where we objectify people or we say, um, yeah, let's all get together. Oh, sure, I saw my friends. What did you talk about? Well, nothing. We were all into our whatever we were into, which has nothing to do with with humanity and the gift of this individual person before me that too is being called to holiness. Like, where was I in the important moments of my life? I was on an iPhone or I was whatever. (laughs) And I I noticed it too this year too as we're heading into summer here and I was just like talking on the phone outside at night or something. And I just, it just struck me just how much more restorative it is to be outside than in front of your computer and your office or just around man-made stuff all the time. I think definitely we're losing touch with that. And I would think too, like with women, it seems almost especially contrary to their nature of being social and very personal. And you're dealing with that. You think I expect them to uphold a a better standard for us. (laughs) You know, Father, thanks for the honesty. Most men do expect women to hold the moral bar and and the social bar a lot higher than they really kind of care to. And I think that's with good reason. Again, this is the theology of the body. We women are more like that, which tells you if women aren't even doing this, how far are we going? Is it the frog in the pot, pot that's boiling to death and doesn't even realize how, how low it's getting? So it is a major, major concern. And yet, deep inside everyone's heart, and I would say this for the millennials, 
very specially, I think they might be the first ones to say what they've missed mm -hmm. because deep inside, when they get a glimpse of the good, the true, the beautiful, they really have an incredible openness. It's like, this is what I have looked for all my life. Nobody has ever shown it to me. Or, you know, something like, Sister, you're the first person that's ever seen goodness in me. Nobody's ever thought that I was good or had talents or, or we don't sometimes, again, as adults, I think the problems come with us. We get preoccupied. It's, it's like when you said to go out into nature. Now, how Franciscan is that? And I, I love that, too, to get back in touch with, with yourself before God. And so be that prayer, be that a quiet walk in, in the middle of this beautiful land here, wherever a person can calm down and enter into a holy silence, then they can begin to hear God speak because he's always speaking. We're just babbling too much inside ourselves. Now, how do you explain a religious life to young women today? Like, why, what do you tell them? I say, you know, every woman was created by God to be a mother. What kind of mother did God create you to be? Is it a mother who will have a spouse of a human husband and needs him to be like a, like a, like a reflection of God that, that brings God very, very close and keeps him pretty intimate in your life and, the, and that gift of self to each other brings forth the children and that's your maternity? Or is it that you don't exactly need that human because you just have a, a gift that God has given to certain people and the gift he might have given you is one that you just really love God with an intensity that says, I want him to be my spouse. I want him to be my number one and my all. And through him, since I will be his spouse, as Sponsor Christi, which is who we are, then all his children become my children too. And therefore, I'll have more kids than I could ever dream of having. And, and for some women, they're like, oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for saying it that way. I never really understood what a sister is. That's not my vocation, but I kind of get it now, and I can appreciate it. Others are like, nobody's ever really said it perhaps in those terms. But, Sister, I think you're speaking to my heart. That's what I've been, that's the more I have been searching for that I didn't know what it was. And I, you know, one thing that frustrates, angers me in the culture, too, is that just... The icon we put in front of women is all about work. You know, we have, it's all about finding your fulfillment in an exaggerated way and work, and you never hear motherhood praised or whatever. It's always kind of like the secondary thing. And do you see that in the young women? Are they, do they want like a, this kind of spiritual motherhood, some of them that you're talking about? Does that resonate with them, but the motherhood part? Because I, I just don't see where they're hearing that at all in the culture today. Good point, Father. They're not hearing it in the culture, and that's why when they make these retreats that we have, we have three vocation instrument retreats a year, and they hear this, so many all of a sudden spark, like, that's what I've been looking for, because nobody is saying it. Nobody is upholding motherhood. Even when we began our community and we were praying over what name did we want, we really want what Dominican Sisters was a given of Mary. That goes back to Dominic wanted the women to be called Sisters of Mary and in his following the men to be called Friars of Mary. Well, that got changed as time went on. But, but the title, Mother of the Eucharist, we're like we, we're holding up motherhood. 
That's very appealing to young women. They're like, nobody talks about it. You have it front and center in your name. Mother of the Eucharist, I mean, that's kind of wrapping the faith together in this incarnational aspect that really does fit a woman's heart. And so I think um, society is, or we're allowing it to, I suppose, um, to kind of deaden us, to neutralize us, to take the spark and energy and excitement of life away. And we're not being happy or more fulfilled or we're becoming lesser human. And we know that, but, but we have to break out of that mold. We have to have the courage to break out of that and say, I'm not going that way. And young women have the courage. And so if, if they don't have the courage, but they think they have a religious vocation, this is the excuse I will hear. I think I need to get another degree first. That's their excuse. Like you're a Dominican, you can't fault another degree. I'm like, I fault it totally. It's an excuse and it's not a good excuse. It's not gonna hold water and you're gonna be miserable because you already know what God is asking and you just, you're, you're fearful. When John Paul II stepped out on the universal stage of the world, and proclaimed, be not afraid, you know, in 1978 when he was um, elected pope. That, those, that was, that's my marching orders for everybody, including myself. Because if I let the evil one tempt me into fear, I will never do anything, become anyone, and uh, my life will be very unfulfilled and, and agonizing. Because we know deep down we were created for sanctity and greatness. And I think part of the, I don't know if the word's irony, but you know, the world's saying you've got to be strong. Women are strong, they need to be leaders, and, and you know, they, they give you the impression that the church, they tell you, say it outright, that it's sexist and all this kind of stuff. But you see like the call to celibacy religious life, it fosters a great strength in women. One thing I think, the value in themselves, they're living a celibate vocation. You know, they're just not about having children, so to speak, as the world would say it. But also, you see them, in a worldly sense, you know, running things, doing things, very active, getting the degrees mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But also, I think, just a spiritual strength, where the world misses a strength from faith. And so the exact opposite, I think, the message they're giving is that this is, this is weakening women. And I can say, I've dealt uh, with sisters. Uh, I've been blessed with uh, sisters my whole life, uh, <laughs> religious life. Uh, and it fosters strength, okay. I mean, the religious call. It really honestly does, because one thing, it's you and God, and since <laughs> your spouse is, is perfect, everything inside you um, leans towards what would, what would he want, what would make him happy, so to speak, what, what are his designs on my heart? And so you don't cut yourself short because you know God sees inside you the saint he wants you to become. And, and so you, you push yourself to becoming more prayerful and, and really more charitable. And you work on your own weaknesses because you have nowhere to hide. You, you don't need to give a false explanation and justify yourself. He's God. He already knows. You keep your mouth shut and you're honest. And, and, and you do know that. And one other thing that you were saying, Father, that I thought was really, really good. Um, the difference, I, I think, between power and authority so if women 
want power, they will get into power struggles in the world. They want the greatest job and they want the biggest pay and they want to be known and they want all these power things. But authority is God-given. And so it's God-given to any person according to their vocation. And so we look at the mother of God and we see the authority whereby God asked her, may I come into you and take on the flesh you alone will give me so that I may redeem the world with that flesh. Talk about authority. Mary had that ability to say yes or no, as we all do. But that Marian dimension that von Balthasar talks about so much, that in the heart of in the heart of the church, there is a mother, there is that feminine genius, there is the woman giving totally of herself and not counting the cost, and thereby making it become alive for the man's gift, which is organization and activity and, and making the things happen. And so I think when we try to take on the other role in a, I would say in an abnormal way, we never really prove a point because we're the, the last ones who would ever believe that inside myself I'm at peace, I'm fulfilling myself. We're on a power struggle and that becomes Nietzschean and um, I mean, we've, we've seen the totalitarian regimes that are on power struggles for very selfish and very, um, you know, motives that are not going to bring them the fullness of the person God created them to become. Yeah, that's what I see so much in the modern feminism. It's just contrary to our natures as men and women, mm -hmm. and it's frustrating, and you're not seeing a flowering and a happiness and a joy. And um, so anyway, I think, I think we see a flowering in the religious life. How does a, how does a young woman know? I think I told you a story one time. I, I heard you interviewed on Life on the Rock. I was sitting in seminary <laughs> thinking, rethinking, my what am I doing here? And I heard Jeff Cavins ask you about discernment and I was on I was listening in my room on the radio shortwave radio and I remember thinking what is she going to say you know what's the Dominican going to say and I, she said oh I think you just know <laughs> and she said it with that southern accent that I love but uh, what do you tell a young woman that trying to discern am I called I say become a person of deep prayer stay open and honest and let God speak and make sure that when he does, your answer is be it done unto me according to your will. God always will let us know. And so will we have the words for it? Will we, many times, no, no person in love ever says, oh, I've said it perfectly. That's all I have to say about it. We always, love is eternal. It's God, you know, God is love. But deep inside that particular heart, you do just know. And you just know that anything else will never fulfill your heart. It was made for this specific way of giving itself and of receiving love. And once you find that, that's the only thing you, you desire. You know, sometimes our sisters will express it as, if, if someone had said to them at some point in their early lives, maybe you have a religious vocation and they weren't ready for it. They were like, oh no, why are you looking at me? What's wrong with me? It type of thing, you know, why am I doing something different that you're... But then when they come and, and they see the life and they begin to open up and God really speaks to their heart and they allow themselves to hear him, 
then they say, not only do I know it's my vocation, I want it, and I want no other life ever again. What do you do personally? Like, you've been in religious life many years. I'm sure you've been through many trials. How do you keep the wood green? What do you keep coming back to to find that Marian surrender? That's beautiful, Father. You have to do it with a great deal of will. You know, you do it with a, a willpower that that stays faithful to prayer, stays faithful to community, the community, um, all the different community dimensions, the, the recreations together, the eating together, the, the, the common life refreshes us. And it kind of goes into, um, you know, as you live it longer, it's almost like this is second nature. I don't need to worry about making all these decisions. Some of them are made for me in a very holy and happy way, and I know I agree with them all. And, and so an interior freedom comes that I think the world does not give us, whereby we can interiorly be more recollected, even in the midst of chaos. Like, I know I'm in this chaos, and I might not have all the answers, but deep inside, I've got God. And so it will happen somehow. He will work what he wills. But you, fidelity is the greatest, I think, of all virtues, you know. None of us are pre-made saints. None of us are going to be instant saints because of anything we do or don't do. We don't have that power. But we have the power to say with our will, I will be faithful to you, Lord, whatever you ask of me. And I will give it the best that I can. And I will get up when I fall down. I always say that's why perhaps we have three stations of the cross that repeat. The only three, he falls, he falls again, he falls a third time. Because we're going, that's our life. We're going to do it. But if we just keep getting up and we keep putting ourselves before the Eucharist, and I think another thing is um, to really live lives of gratitude, that sometimes we all get spoiled and, and we live with so many graces that we can begin to take them for granted and we can say, you know, someone else needs to do this. Why should I always be doing it? We, we can start um, lying to ourselves, being selfish ourselves. And I think we need to jerk ourselves out of that and find the positive, be so grateful for everything and um, and hang around hang around young people, you know their their lives are they should be um, full of hope. And if they're not, we need to enkindle that hope because they're very quick to want that hope. And that's what we need too as life goes on. And and you see things um, after the suffering. But I'm always like, if you can't, if you if you say no to the sorrowful mysteries, you will never reach the glorious. So if you want to live only in the joyful, you're going to have a, a very um, short exchange on life itself because God wants you to experience everything he did. We're walking with him. He's our spouse. He's our completion. We don't just um, ask him for the good. You know, love eventually wants to suffer for the beloved. And if it doesn't, it turns around to the beloved and say, you don't trust me, do you? You can't even ask me to suffer for you. There is no trust. Oh, it's not a, a permanent World Youth Day religious life for you. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's singing. <laughs> Let me ask you too. We talked about this earlier, but does now a sister, a young woman who wants to enter your community, they have to just can't wait to teach and because I, <laughs> I, I just you see like this great, like the East Coast. Uh, 
Dominican fathers, friars, uh, they're doing all this great work. I mean, God seems to really be blessed. The Nashville Dominicans and your group mm -hmm. just seems to be a, a lot of vocations, a lot of good works, education so needed today. Does a woman want to be a teacher? Does she have to, be a have to want to be a teacher to enter? She has to want to love God, to believe she's called to the Dominican way of life, to, um, if it's, she wants this habit, she wants this 15 decade rosary, she wants this way of life. And that's, in, in saying that, that was myself. I did not want to teach, but I knew I would only reach the holiness God was calling me to if, if I was a Dominican sister, and I wanted that. So if they had to do all this teaching, then I guess I would just have to do it. I stepped into the classroom, and after the first several days, and they were difficult, and I thought I knew I was not made for this, it clicked one day. And I think that that's the beauty of fidelity. We don't think we can do it. And for different girls, it's different things. Maybe silence for a real extrovert or, or the humdrum of what seems like a, a, day, a daily schedule when something isn't coming in extraordinary to, to, you know. Everybody has their thing, but I'm always like, that's your gift, that's your wedding gift to Christ. And if you have nothing of yourself, deep deepest down to give to him what a poor spouse that is when he has died on the cross for you so i always say figure out what your sacrifice for your spouse is that's important because you need to own that for some it certainly is teaching others come and they're very excited about teaching but i would say when you find your vocation even the things that you thought weren't going to fit inside you God gives the grace in abundance. I absolutely love teaching, and that is not what I would have ever thought until I began teaching. Yeah. I, I remember sitting in seminary and the teacher, barring from, it was actually Germain Grise, he wrote oh, yeah. about discernment of, yes. of vocation, and he had like this monster checklist. <laughs> and this guy went through all this stuff. I said, I've ever raised it by hand. It just kind of honestly saying, I didn't do any of that stuff, you know. <laughs> and the whole place just roared laugh, laughing. Oh, good, but good, good. but I, that's what I think. There's so many unknowns. And there's like what you said, you think you don't like this. You wind up going there with God's grace and you like it. You know, his mm -hmm. power working in you or you realize something you didn't have that, you know, is used there. So. I think we can kind of be too calculating and measured at times. Oh, very but. much so. Very much so. Again, that's where the evil one is, is trying to dissuade you. He will get us on every weakness. And sometimes, and he knows our weaknesses better than we do. So that's where you take it to prayer and self-knowledge. You beg God for that self-knowledge and you go, there I am again, falling into the same thing. Different twist. But it's the same weakness. And so we begin to pray against that and we're more attentive to what virtue do I need to beg God for so that I can overcome this, this weakness, this vice, this weakness, whatever it may be. And I think another thing too is um, people looking inside or outside into religious life would go, oh my gosh, how can you do it? Oh, that's just an extraordinary life. Oh, I could never do that. How, how can you find your joy and your peace and your completion in there? And, you know, I've just kind of come to realize for an outsider looking in, they probably do see it that way. For me, having the vocation, it's as natural to me as their vocation is to them. My heart was created from all eternity in the mind of God that it would only be completed in this fashion, that I would be his spouse and all his children would be my children also. 
And so I look at theirs and go, well, how beautiful. And I love, their, I love them and I love their children and I have so many married friends. But I know without any doubt that is not my vocation and never would be. You know, so you have that God-given gift. And if someone thinks something ex- extraordinary, it's because they don't have that grace. But if you do have the grace, it's not extraordinary. It's, it's normal for you. And your own story, did you always want to become a sister growing <laughs> up? or? Actually, I am one of the very, very few that I, I can honestly say I did. I was taught by sisters. Um, my where, parents, where did you grow up? At? In Oak Ridge, Tennessee, East Tennessee, so the Smokies. My parents are saints. I, I believe that with every speck of my being. Um, they were just the most beautiful couple for me to say how beautiful marriage is. So it was never um, that I would not get married. It was more, but I really want to be a sister. That just pulls everything inside me. That just excites me. And I would hang around sister and I wasn't the best student, got into all kinds of trouble, but it never dissuaded me to say, I don't want to be a sister. I didn't care what sister did to me. I was going to be a sister, no matter whether she liked me or didn't at any moment in time. I, everything about it. Now, what am I saying? The big difference is I think I grew up in some of, quote, the best of times. Obviously, there's no perfect time, but a time of great promise in the sense of I had a valid, beautiful example, uh, several, um, certainly of, of married life and my own parents and certainly of religious life. And so I, every day I was one of those kids that thought, what, what am I supposed to do? I can't wait to grow up and get on with life. And what am I supposed to do? This school stuff is for the birds. That's why I don't think I wanted to teach. But in any case, um, it was very present to me, what's my way to heaven? And I knew it wouldn't be a single vocation. I knew I needed a complementarity, though I wouldn't have said it that way. But I just thought, only Jesus is going to be enough for me. I just kind of knew that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Any uh, last thoughts or words you wanted to say about the book? First of all, thank you and your community for what you all are doing. May God bless you with many vocations. You are so needed. And I was had to laugh today as I was thinking. Um, the thought came to me several times. You Franciscans have a very Dominican also vocation here because you're preaching and teaching the, the word. And I think that's, um, you had mentioned earlier, the Dominicans are getting vocations, et cetera. I think that's because we're on a rampage to stamp out ignorance. It's not the common person's fault that they don't know. It's the fault of us who should be preaching and teaching who aren't doing it. And so I think God is really blessing communities that have that thrust because so many people need the truth. Um, so really, just to really thank you and your community and EWTN and um, say to everybody that listens to this, get this book. I don't care what your vocation is. You need to understand religious life just as my sisters need to understand married life. There's a complement. There's a completion in the mystical body of Christ, and we're called to it according to our own vocations. But just as any girl who didn't understand or appreciate or love the married life, I would not want her in my community because she has to believe in marriage to a spouse she can't see and feel and hear. And so her faith has to be that deep to say, I am married to Christ himself. 
But if she doesn't get marriage, I do not want her in my community because she cannot really live a married life in regards to, to Christ. She can't give that gift of self when things get hard to realize this is a sacrifice for my beloved. I'm going to give this because he's worthy. He, he deserves this. I need to give. Um, so, yeah, and, and um, just as I want my sisters to totally understand, or not, I mean, to understand married life, I want married people to understand our vocation and, and the vocation to the priesthood to the extent that we're able to, obviously, since it's not our own, um, but to understand the other vocation because we are dealing with so many young people and we're going to be, perhaps, by God's design, a voice is going to come to them at some moment they can hear and we will help them find their way to eternity. And people can find the book, the title, and it's on Amazon, you said? Right. And it's as it's the book is and Mary's Yes Continues and it is it is on Amazon, but it's on our website, which is sistersofmary.org, and it's also sold here at EWTN's catalog. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you, Father. God bless you.